0: I'm Denzel Mohammed, and this is Job Makers. <music> women have long been underrepresented in crucial economic sectors like technology, a place where they can innovate and have real impact. For Anita Warden, while things certainly have improved for women in tech. There's still much more work to be done. Anita was born in England of Indian parents, grew up in Algeria, and moved to the U.S. as a teenager. Graduating at the top of her class, she went on to MIT, where she co-founded her first company, Selectria Corporation, in 1989 while still a student, and then went on to found Selectria Renewables in 2014, both of which were acquired. Now retired, Anita is working to promote tech as a viable, lucrative, and satisfying career choice for women and girls, just as she's working to educate Americans about climate change and changing the narrative around immigrants in the US, as you'll find out in this week's JobMakers. Anita Warden, welcome to JobMakers. Thank you. Glad to be here. Tell me a little bit about your, the past 30 years and, and what you've been doing.
1: Oh, wow. 30 years. That's a lot to cover now. Um, so I um, started my first business with my husband in 1989 and uh, for about 15 years built solar and electric vehicles. Um, I say solar because our first vehicles actually had solar panels on the roof. Um, These were small commuter cars and you could run the fans and accessories with the solar. But we later on took off the solar panels and uh, and just made pure electric vehicles. Uh, We built um, uh, personal uh, commuter cars that were four doors and and hatchback commuter cars. And then we later moved into electric pickup trucks and step fans like a, a bread van. They were all electrified. Um, Before we sold the business, we were actually building a lot more hybrid vehicles, including hybrid school buses and big um, uh, several-ton trucks for large cargo-carrying facilities, uh, capabilities. In uh, 2005, we sold that business to a Canadian company. And uh, we had started to spin off within the organization, um, a distributed energy business to build in inverters, which were electronic boxes that would be able to um, take similar technology they had in the electric vehicles, but then use them for um, grid connected capabilities. So um, our, our focus had st- started within our first business, but the new acquirers didn't want to have anything to do with that. They wanted to stick with vehicles and they didn't want to have anything to do with renewable energy. So we will spin off our business um taking um all the technology that we had developed and 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 for a dollar we were able to license that um uh royalty free and we spun off into selectry Renewables, a um a pretty sizable organization um which then we started to focus on purely on um, solar applications so um that business we ran for um Several years before we were acquired in 2014 by a Canadian, uh, by a sorry, a Japanese company, um, but we still believe that renewable energy is the way to go um, for us to combat climate change. Um, and and as it comes um, to the forefront almost daily in our news cycle, right weather patterns in different parts of the United States and the world, we realize that we have large strides to make in order to. Uh, take away our dependence on uh, fossil fuels and move into a cleaner lifestyle and, and, a, and a lower energy lifestyle, becoming more efficient with our, with our processes, our transportation, our homes, and so forth.
0: When you started your business in 1989 with your husband, um, I recall that you said only about 30% of the grads at MIT were women. Um, how do you see women playing a role in tech these days?
1: I was gratified, certainly in the last uh, 10 to 15 years, to see more women involved in technology. Not as far as I'd like to see. For instance, MIT is uh, close to 50% women uh, these days, which is wonderful to know. Um, Hopefully not the anomaly. But um, in technology, especially in solar, we saw tons of women involved, both on the technical side as well as the business side of things. Um, we definitely have to make strides there, no matter what we do, um, to get women involved in the business side of things, the technology side of things. Um, and it comes from women seeing women in those fields, right? If you see someone you can relate to, you're more likely to go into that area. Um, I think we need to do it a lot more with STEM education at the younger ages. And, uh, I've been involved in that, trying to, um, support, uh, women or young girls to join uh, STEM opportunities in middle school and high school, and, and, and also in introducing them in, in the younger ages by teaching them how this is
0: just as acceptable to be in this field as anything else. As you talk about STEM, um, we see, especially in Massachusetts, but across the U.S., that STEM fields in colleges are really dominated by immigrants, uh, people from other countries. And why do, you think, why do you think that is? And why do you think there is not enough being done to encourage STEM for U.S.-born children?
1: I think STEM has not been glorified as a lucrative um, career choice, which, I mean, and I say that in a way that other finance, like the financial sector, is glorified, oh, you can make tons of money being, you know, in working for, you know, Morgan Stanley or somebody like that. But I counter that with the fact that you can make a ton of money being an engineer. And in fact, engineers are more sought after today. And if you look at the competitive nature of today's job market, companies are doing their best to to literally steal people from other tech companies with great employment packages because they need software engineers and and, mechanical engineers and uh, electrical engineers on their teams in order to develop the products that are making a difference today. And, um, so I think it comes a, from a career choice from the financial side, but I also think it's a matter of that, um, some, some amount of work ethic. And I, and I agree, you know, when we were hiring, um, engineers, nine out of 10 of our engineers were immigrants. Um, and, um, so, it's too bad because I think immigrants should should join those wonderful fields. But it also, I think it's important to have, you know, people born in the United States, um, even if they're from an immigrant household, to join a STEM field. Um, and we actually just work really early on on that, you know, to, to, to let them know how fun and interesting it is to be um, a scientist or a technologist or an engineer or a math major, Work a lot of work. And God forbid, you know, I don't at one point want all of our development of technologies to happen in other countries. I want immigrants to come here and do it here. So I I'd fight with that
0: <laughs> a little bit. You talk about STEM and also the fact that you were an employer. Um, tell, take me back to your childhood and the kinds of probably the values that were instilled in you that would eventually prompt you to get into STEM and to be an entrepreneur. You were born in England, I know, and you grew up in Ghana, is that correct?
1: I actually grew up in Algeria. Yes, I I grew up in Algeria. So, um, I mean, I I attribute a lot of my work ethic and belief in um, working in a STEM field to my dad. My dad was an electrical engineer um, and he, uh, worked both in the UK as well as in Algeria. And then later on, when we were in high school, we moved uh, to Miami and he, he worked there as well. For me, it was more about modeling by my dad. You know, my dad would would show us stuff and explain things at home. And, you know, we became very interested, my brother and I, in what he was doing. And But he had an amazing work ethic, you know? And... You know, we saw the fruits of his labor pan out into great, you know, a, a nice, comfortable lifestyle. You know, his, he came from a family where his dad was a farmer. You know, his dad, his dad you know, toiled with somebody, on somebody else's land. He didn't own his own land. And similarly to, you know, to my mother's family. But my, my uncles were engineers and we had a couple of my mom's side of the family that immigrated here early on back in the 70s. And then we immigrated here in uh, nineteen eighty one, and uh, you could see that you know the the work ethic, the success of being an engineer parlayed into a really good lifestyle, and you know you could argue around the dinner table you know you we not we weren't just experts in in our in our trade, but in we were interested in Politics and philosophy and and all the things that come with that.
0: Did you set out to be your own boss? Was that something that you had in your mind growing up? Absolutely not. Really?
1: We we did not have, um, to my knowledge, any entrepreneurs in our family, Um, especially growing up. I mean, everyone I know, my two uncles that were engineers um, always worked for somebody else. My dad worked for somebody else. And, and all of my um, family members, no one was an entrepreneur. Um, but interestingly enough, uh, my brother's an entrepreneur now. I am, I was, you know, for my my husband. And then um, um, a couple of my, my husband's siblings were entrepreneurs. So, you know, where it's another generation, we, I, you know, you talk about the immigrant story. We, we feel like we've lived it, you know. We came here for the, my, and my dad, in his wisdom, brought my brother and he, I here, you know, as a land of opportunity. And we took full advantage of that. You know, we we um, got great educations. We worked really hard. We moved here in ninth grade. I feel like I'm telling you my childhood story here. Moved here in ninth grade, um, and immediately somehow got to the top of our class. Don't ask me how that happened because there were lots of brilliant kids in our classes. And we graduated valedictorian and salutatorian when we, you know, four years later, and we never prior to that lived in this country. Um, and that allowed us to go to really good colleges. You know, dad helped us, dad was amazing. He, he used a lot of his savings to help us pay for a college. We got some loans too, which is really important and worked, both of us worked in college, you know, to support ourselves and to support some of our financial aid packages. But um, soon after that, just, you know, again, that work ethic, you start a business, you probably already know this. There is no downtime, you know, we, we when I met James, he had this idea, he wanted to build electric cars. And, you know, that could come across as like, oh, that kid, you know, he these great ideas. I still th- say, you know, thank, um, I thank my dad for allowing us to to move to the U.S. And, you know, he had this opportunity presented to us and we took full advantage of it and built an amazing company. Two amazing companies that employed lots of people and hired a lot of immigrants and and uh, and and uh, changed some, the lives of a lot of people for the better. So I feel like I should take a little bit.
0: <laughs> you talk about at that time taking risks. And of course, being an entrepreneur, you you do take risks. And also, being an immigrant, you take a risk. You move to another place. You do not entirely sure what it's going to be like, what the transition is. And I'm sure moving from Algeria to Miami was a bit of a drastic change, right? You know,
1: I felt like growing in in Algeria, we and and traveling. Um, well, we did to other countries and going back to India every every couple of years. We knew. I felt like we grew up knowing and understanding a little bit about the world, even as teenagers. Um, a lot of kids in this world, in this country, don't get that opportunity. You know, they. You know, I know kids in my own town here that I've moved to that have never left. Maybe they've left Massachusetts to go across to New Hampshire. But that's driving across the border. They've never left this left this area, so they don't understand how how lucky we are in the United States, how um, there are so many more opportunities here than other parts of the world, and um, and how other people live in other communities. So I mean, we had a, a better worldview. So we, again, when I say we were lucky, my parents really allowed us to see those things. And so going to college wasn't so shocking in that when we met people from you know, Morocco or or, uh, or Vietnam or China, you know, it was what a great melting pot to just live and thrive in these um, in a multicultural setting. Um, so we had a tiny bit of that taste of that
0: living overseas. So you you're getting into something that is a little bit controversial for some people, this idea of melting pot, this idea of America being a home for immigrants from people from all over the world, it has always been that way. Um, but it's so contentious now, nowadays. I mean, what are your thoughts about America as a home for immigrants? And, and what are your thoughts on the public perception of immigration today? And how can we fix that?
1: Oh, gosh. You know, I many times I think we live in a bubble in Massachusetts because Massachusetts has been more welcoming of immigrants. I mean, you look at all the high tech companies that are both started and staffed in um, in in Massachusetts and even New England, and a majority of them are immigrants. I mean, who isn't an immigrant, really? You know, and that's the thing that shocks me is when I think about people not accepting of immigrants. It's like, well, if you look back enough generations, you're an immigrant too. Your family was an immigrant. And how did you get to the opportunities you have available to you now is on the backs of those people that came here from a different place. You know, we, uh, one of our friends was over and and her father immigrated from Italy, you know, and uh, or her grandfather immigrated from Italy, Italy. And, you know, people who went through Ellis Island, you know, that original you know, New York transitioned to here, all those people worked hard to get here, you know, probably had to put their life savings into that journey into this country. People in, there's so many people who have forgotten that, you know. So, I mean, I look at our um, vast wealth in this country and the businesses that have been founded, so many of which are founded by immigrants. Okay, maybe they're second generation, or but many of them are first generation families that, you know, have started small companies that have grown into multinational companies and employed so many people. People forget that, right? When you, when you look at, and I don't mean you and I, that people who, who disparage immigrants forget the fact that so much of this country's wealth has been because we have had immigrants starting businesses or running businesses or providing the technology for those businesses. So I think we need to, can you and I make a change? I, 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 not maybe single-handedly, but maybe as a community, we can, we can get the message out there that, you know, we're all one and we live under the same roof. We have the same aspirations for us to be, you know, have... Food and shelter and good health.
0: It's a story that hasn't changed. I mean, immigrants moved here for particular reasons generations ago, much the same as immigrants who are moving today. They are fleeing natural disaster. They are uh, fleeing persecution. They need uh, some sort of safety. They need economic safety, physical safety. Um, and it is it is something that people seem to forget and, and not made that connection that you know, 1900 immigrants, uh, immigrants from 1900, versus immigrants from 2020 they're not much different they may look different they may have a different accent Um, but the story really remains the same and a lot of your perception regarding immigration comes from your deep relationship with the city of lawrence Um, you have worked actively to um, develop lawrence economically and in so many other ways your your factory your business Took hold of one of those great mill buildings in Lawrence for all these years. Uh, tell me a little bit about your experience in Lawrence.
1: Well, I, I I love the fact that we were able to move to Lawrence for um, when we set when we found Selectry Renewables. Um, there's a little story there. My my mother actually saw the sign on the building saying for lease as I was driving back with my newborn and coming back from a doctor's appointment. And she's like, there, that building's released. And it, and it was a building at Riverwalk right off the highway. And what was great about it is it's like thousands of square feet. And at the time in 2005, a, a lot of it was unoccupied and we were able to get great rates there. But the best part of it was that we were in, um, in a community that had all this raw talent And we could hire locally for all of our manufacturing and and all the the staff that we had, most of whom came from the city of Lawrence. I think at one point I looked at our production staff and it was 70% Laurentians. And I I was very proud of that. You know, the fact that we could have people come from the local community, many, you know, many of whom, several of whom um, use public transportation to get to work or carpool with their friends. Um, and you know, they would come in, come in in the morning and they they had the great, the great advantage of a of production environment is most people start at 7am and that's when the parking lot was empty. And by the time we left, I left working there, that parking lot was always full. And I mean, that, that just showed that the, the, that, that complex actually became very, um, very busy and active with lots of businesses in it. And, um, uh, but the the team that we hired, we were able to train them. Um, they were they came with a large skill set. Um, you know, we had folks that had been trained. You know, maybe they were HVAC um, technicians, uh, or they worked at Raytheon, or they worked you know in a small startup environment, or you know they had a skill set that wasn't uh, preordained to be an inverter manufacturing technician. That, that is, not, you know, you don't hear of that. But because our technology was not rocket science, we had great manuals and, um, and work instructions, And we had this team of very skilled labor. I mean, I mean, and they developed this technique that enabled our customers to look inside our product. They, that all came from the team that we hired there. And it, um, you know, we, we talked earlier, or you and I talked earlier about ESL training. One of the things that um, I realized, it actually came about because I was in the hallway one time with um, one of our custodians for the building. And he walked up to him and goes, oh, my, uh, my uncle just moved here. Do you think you could give him a job? And I said, well, sure. Well, like, what's his skill set? Give me his resume. He goes, well, here's the thing. He doesn't speak any English." But he has this uh, technical background from the Dominican. And I was like, I just, I, I cringed inside because all of our manuals were in English. At the time, my production uh, manager was not bilingual. Um, later on, I had bilingual production managers, which, were, w- which was a very big asset to have. But the instructions were not such that somebody with only a, his, a Spanish background could could read and translate and work in. So I realized that we need to do a lot more for ESL training in in our community. And and, um, both James and I basically spent um, a lot of our our personal charitable giving to making sure that ESL programs were well-funded. I mean, there's never enough funding for those and and never enough seats, but that was something that I continue to wanna champion because you know whether whether you came, you know, back in you know 1900s with an Italian or Irish. Okay, maybe the Irish had an advantage. They spoke they spoke English, but you know when the Italian immigrants were here, or the you know um, in Lowell, there um, I think there's a, a large Vietnamese uh, immigrant population. If they don't come with any kind of foundation for the English language, many times they'll have a skill set um from their mother country that they can't then jump right into a, a work environment and suddenly their their economic prospects are are are
0: you know not validated. It's an underutilization of skills and we have to bear in mind what you just said, people come here with skills. They come here in their twenties and their thirties with skill, raw talent. Um and a real desire just to, to work, that's why immigrants have a larger presence in the labor force. They come here with the intention of working. And the English language is that vehicle that allows them to you know, be able to transfer their skills and then grow and then pay more in taxes and then be such incredible contributing members of our community. Um, and there's this really terrible perception that immigrants don't want to learn English. And I can safely say from the Immigrant Learning Center's free English language program, which is uh, almost entirely privately funded, we've always had a waiting list. Even after the 2016 election, our waiting list jumped to well over 1,000 people. Uh, yeah. And there's no program, English language program, that uh, does not have a waiting list. There are people who really need, want to learn the language, and they're really uh, passionate about that. Anita Warden, this was a truly fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you very much, Denzel. It was a pleasure to be with you today, and, and certainly hope that we've can help move the needle in all the things that we're doing together. So applaud you for all that you're doing as well.
0: And I applaud you for all that you continue to do even in report retirement. Job Makers is a weekly podcast produced by Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston and the Immigrant Learning Center, a not-for-profit that gives immigrants a voice. Thank you for joining us for today's inspiring story for another immigrant entrepreneur. If you know someone we should talk to, email Denzel that's D-E-N-Z-I-L at JobMakersPodcast.org. And please leave us a review. I'm Mohammed. Join us next Thursday at noon for another JobMakers.